Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's episode, we're going to preview the upcoming Tall Tales exhibition, which opens up this Saturday, September 15th, from 6 to 8 p.m. And once again, that address is 1056 North Route 59 in Aurora. And the artists in the show are Bill Conger, Ben Gardner, Bob Jones, Adam Mysock, John Reddington, and Tim Roby. And once again, this is our first group exhibition here at Studio Break, so we're, of course, very excited. Of course, we'd love it if you came out to the exhibition, and if you want more specific information, please go to Studio Break on Facebook, look under the events calendar, and you'll see information for Tall Tales, including map and directions about how to park and how those of you that will be visiting will be asked to come around to the back door of the space located in this alternative kind of strip mall kind of space so please go ahead and check that out and find out more information there and just a couple reminders we are on itunes so just go to the itunes store search for studio break under podcast and you can subscribe there and also you can subscribe to the studio break blog at studiobreak.com and once again we are on twitter so please follow us at studio break on twitter to find out updates that way as well there's plenty of places to go check us out and without further ado we have benjamin gardner in our first interview talking about studio breaks tall tales exhibition so stay tuned Welcome, everyone, to Studio Break. I'm your host, David Linaway, and this morning I am joined by Ben Gardner. How are you this morning? Great, Dave. Thanks for having me on again. Yeah, well, and again and again, um, despite uh, recording issues and the fact that you've now been on, I think, five times um, <laughs> because of those recording issues, uh, it's great to have you back. But as you know, we are doing our, our first group show for Studio Break, Tall Tales, and you're one of the artists in it. And... Um, Again, I'm just going to un- unpack this very briefly. You know, the, the idea for this show is very straightforward. You know, I, aside from making artwork, I, I look at a lot of artwork and certainly uh, met a lot of great artists along the way. And, um, you know, just really looking at different different artists that are using different ideas of narratives or storytelling or mythology and coming at it from very direct approaches and then very indirect approaches, maybe you know, along the way or through that process of making work. And so that's really what these, what these artists are, are doing in this show is, is, is making their own work with them. They also have that, that component to it. What do you think about it in terms of narrative and storytelling and mythology as it, as it relates to your work? Well, one of the first instances, and I think I talked about this last time, but the first instances that I can remember is meeting uh, the painter Derek Bish when I was an undergrad. He came as a visiting artist to Milliken University and uh, I, I was, at the time, very energetic about painting and making work and, and was reading a lot of art criticism, was reading like art, like uh, Danto and, and other sort of art theory things. And Derek kind of opened my eyes up because he told me that he doesn't read, he didn't really read art criticism all that much and he preferred literary criticism. 
and specifically uh, the, the book Six Memos for the Next Millennium by Italo Calvino. Uh, so it, it sort of widened my eyes. I, I didn't particularly enjoy reading art criticism, but I thought that I had to, to be a good artist. Um, so I started reading literary criticism, and it completely opened up sort of my ideas and, and understanding of what how literary criticism or how sort of narrative structure, narrative theory can play into making work. Um, and then additionally, I think how it's sort of carried over into my new work and how it carries over into the work that's in the show. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I've always been interested in, in sort of the meaning and, and, and stories that are imbued in objects. And, and so when somebody looks at an object... Uh, especially objects that have uh, an element of abstraction to them. Um, I think that they have these connected stories, and those stories might be different uh, from one person to the next, but there's there's this sort of meaning that sort of transcends the object itself in some ways, but is ultimately linked to the object. And I think that's always been pretty important to me and something I'm really interested in. Um, and, I, and I think the stories that these objects tell are objects that have been told for over and over again. I mean, I don't think it's anything new, anything groundbreaking. I think it's things that have sort of been told either in creation myths for ancient civilizations or even in sort of like parables and things that we use today without even realizing that they're parables. Um, and so I think that that's always been sort of integral to uh, the, the making that I do in the studio. It's interesting. You know, I think a lot of a lot of people are, are concerned with, well, not concerned as from a maker's perspective with the viewer, but, you know, they acknowledge that this, this can be read different ways. And I think one of the, one of the tangents that we had talked about is just the way that all of those things are inevitably going to change depending on, on who is going to be looking at it, when they're going to be looking at it, especially. Um, sure. And I, I think especially, bring up that, that silly idea that, you know, being buried in the sand or, you know, unearthed in, in some cave, you know, thousands yeah. of years from now, what are, what are they going to think? Yeah. Um, and even the cultural context of the work will change in 10 years more than any of us can possibly know. And I think that's actually pretty beautiful to think about. That, that doesn't bother me at all. This is, the, this is the beauty of these conversations is that I always wind up tangentializing, but it makes me wonder especially with technology moving so quickly, what art is going to be looked like, especially for, for those that aren't, that aren't treating it like a, uh, uh, a photo sharing thing that you can just like print off, you know, yeah. something, something that, that I don't know. It's interesting. Cause I mean, even with students that I've had, uh, they talk about the idea of, or, you know, that idea of using your hands and, and, and being hands on and, and problem solving that way. I'm, I'm curious what that's going to be like, uh, yeah. you know, a hundred years from now. For sure. If we'll get the flying cars. Yeah, we'll be like, uh, we'll be like old timey. Uh, all of us people who make things, they're going to be like old timey inventors, you know? Yeah, well. And everybody else is going to be glued to their computer. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been a pleasure having you on already this morning, and, and thanks for thanks. sharing your thoughts, Ben. Thanks again. All right, that was Ben Gardner, and up next we have Bill Conger. I am joined by Bill Conger. How are you? Terrific, Dave. How are you? Good, good. And, and you know, we were just chatting, or at least trying to chat, about the idea of narratives and the way that it might relate to your work or 
you know, mythology, storytelling, and all that other stuff. So could you just kind of give a little bit of an introduction about how that works in, in terms of what you do? Of course. Um, I, 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 you, I kind of think of the idea of a narrative when you say storytelling or a narrative is, uh, I guess, kind of a, a little section of, of um, experience uh, or, or memory of experience with individuals. And the way I'm approaching uh, sculpture today uh, with a lot, it relies very much on, on uh, objects that we use and have uh, familiarity and interaction with in the world. I'm relying on those so much because I, I know that every individual has some kind of relationship with those objects. And I'm interested in kind of uh, letting the viewer unveil or kind of uh, let the object within the viewer unveil these moments, um, these um, aspects of storytelling uh, that really lie within the experience of seeing the things along with the experience of having some kind of, you know, interaction with them in the past. So uh, I guess what I'm trying to do is invite the, the viewer into the object and let whatever kind of interaction happens unfold. That interaction is this kind of thing that I kind of talk about a lot um, as uh, a moment or a, an experience that mimics what a narrative would be. So it, it does beg the question, um, you know, what story is being told? What, what has happened? What will happen? That there's, you know, that there's some kind of uh, anxiousness uh, that we're moving towards some kind of culmination of things with the viewer and the object. And, and so I guess that, that's a, a very important part of what, what I've been thinking about and doing for the past uh, year or two. But I think also it seems like that, that context for where it's at would change, you know, depending if it's in a, you know, if it's in the, a strip mall gallery or if it's in a, uh, you know, public place, if it's on a sidewalk, etc. Yeah, yeah, I, I, for sure that's exactly the, the reality of this work, which I guess makes it more important, even more important, uh, to have a controlled kind of uh, environment for these to work in because they don't, they don't always operate in those other areas. They really um, operate best within... I don't want to say a vacuum, but certainly a, a space which certainly announces itself as a very particular uh, exhibition space uh, where one can kind of let go of any outside, you know, uh, kind of um, information. I really do try to control the, the environment in that way and really make sure that they're seen in a place that is... Um, kind of clear of those of those uh, outside inferences. Could you talk a little bit about maybe the, the way that um, you, you decide to choose particular objects and then also if you ever think about the way that their contexts or how are their how their contexts are going to be changed. You know, I know that recently you used a, a Steve Madden box, for example. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, a, a Steve Madden shoe box, that's correct. Uh, I guess some of the objects that I seem to be kind of uh, elaborating on or trying to expound on come from 
direct um, kind of interaction in my life sometimes. Uh, other times I find that I am really attracted to objects that we particularly see as um, objects of vanity. I'm really interested in in that concept of vanity and what we how we perceive ourselves and what we kind of do to ourselves to preserve ourselves. And uh, so at current time, those are some of the things that I, or, you know, kind of, I kind of obsess on and the objects and the quote unquote moments that, I, that I'm referring to are alluding to, to those ideas. Like, um, you know, the idea of prepping yourself for the day, what happens in the morning, uh, when you, before you, uh, announce yourself to the world, you know, and, and in a sense, I see that as a kind of perverse uh, attempt to preserve um, something that's not preservable. So, though currently that that's kind of an overriding theme. Just to give you an example mm-hmm. of of where what takes me to the particular objects or things or um, you know sculptures that I that I create. That sounds excellent. And again. We're really looking forward to seeing this installation, this mysterious installation that'll that'll be on the floor at uh, you know this gallery space in Aurora. Well, and I'm, I'm interested that uh, uh, that there is a, a kind of uh, mystery to the to the piece. I don't really see it that way, but I do kind <laughs> of agree that uh, not telling too much about the piece is kind of a good thing. Uh, it, it really does kind of invite a very natural response uh, without preconceptions to what the, the piece will be. So I'm not purposely doing that, but I, I do think the pieces uh, work better without, you know what I mean, the, the kind of build up to what exactly it will be. Sure. Well, and I think just because of the very nature of the space, the idea that people will be asked to enter around through the through this back door this mysterious back door it kind of has this alley like presence kind yes. of feel kind of feel like you're you're going to the uh, the blue oyster bar and right. police academy I'm very much looking forward to, to walking into that space and uh, seeing what you got very good well thanks so much for the opportunity dave i look forward to it all right that was bill conger and up next is john reddington who will also be visiting us for the exhibition from ohio Welcome back to Studio Break, and I'm happy to be joined with John Reddington. How are you this evening? I'm good, Dave. Thanks. It's good to have you back, and, you know, obviously uh, you are our first guest, and it's been about a year, so it's kind of nice timing as well, but you're included in this uh, this upcoming group show coming up next week, and as you know, it's about narrative and, and just different aspects of narrative, storytelling, mythology, and, and how that might relate to... Uh, the artists in the show, and they all kind of deal with it in different ways, as as you do. And so, I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit about that that practice, or how you know narratives come up within your work. And um, yeah, we can go from there. And the direction for me, narrative is chronicling things that have happened in my life uh, specifically. So, not really using other people's stories. I guess, for example probably be the best way to talk about this the, the latest painting that I've, I've finished kind of came about in really bizarre circumstances um, I finished this painting that I started working on 
a couple years ago, and you were there, Ben Cohen, and we were out painting on Lake Erie and had a real rough time with that painting, got really upset with it, and put it away for a year. Next summer, my buddy David Jewell came up, and we went back out, and I was working on it again, once again, got really frustrated with the thing, and put it on the back shelf again. And then just a couple weeks ago, I pulled it out, kind of kicked the dust off it, sat it in front of me, and was kind of thinking about a bunch of different things. Um, One, just kind of this experience recently with wanting to go to Kelly's Island up in Lake Erie and spending a lot of time up there and just how peaceful that is and how fun that was. And um, the, the painting kind of evolved from this Lake Erie painting on the, the coast, the Cleveland coast, to transforming into a Kelly's Island scenario and then got wrapped up into a, another scenario. But the Kelly's Island thing, uh, I was up there and it was 4th of July weekend, I was on a friend's boat, and that was the way we got up there. You can take a ferry across, but we didn't have a car to do that, and his boat broke down, so we're trying to figure out how to kind of fix the situation, and it ended up being um, maladjusted shift cable, so we're trying to fix that, and so just all, I mean bad internet connections, trying to get diagrams. There's no mechanics on the island, so we're trying to figure this out. By no means are we mechanics. So we're trying to figure this out, and I'm just sitting in the studio thinking about this and just kind of laughing about it. So I decided to take the diagram of the shift cable mechanism and put that in the painting. And then on top of that, I put the logo of the engine, this Mercruiser old 81 engine, put that on the painting as well. And then I had just gotten word uh, not long after I started thinking about that, that kind of idea that um, my old wrestling coach from high school passed away. And so I'm kind of thinking about, about that stuff. And, you know, it just kind of dawned on me that actually the, uh, the substructure for the painting, this old panel that is underneath the painting, was the uh, drafting board that I had used in those high school classes of his. Took all of his drafting classes and everything, and I ended up taking it home for homework once and just never returned it, and so I decided to use it as a substructure because I wasn't really going to use it for much of anything else. And it was kind of bizarre to me that I was making kind of a, a drawing of, uh, I don't know what you call it, like a industrial, obviously drafting drawing on top of my painting, which is on a drafting board, which never dawned to me. And so I wanted to kind of include that within the story. So it's I guess it explain it helps to talk about the uh, the title. The title of the painting was uh, what is it? Um, the death of Coach Reben and the ballad of the maladjusted 
Mercruiser 81 shift cable. I believe that's what it is. But as you know, there there's a tinge of humor into it, but there's also a lot of sincerity that goes into it as well. Not just the title, but the, just the whole process. And I guess that's why it takes me quite a while to come to terms with feeling comfortable with a painting. Things kind of have to sit and marinate and certain scenarios have to unfold. In that way, when you talk about just sitting in the studio with a painting, which is something that you've talked about before, it's almost like you need to collect all these right experiences to put them together then right, so that you can right. make that work. So that's that's a very interesting uh, aspect of dealing with that and, and approaching it. Yeah, it's almost like a almost like code. I'm sure when somebody looks at it, they're not they're going to read the title, and it seems to be very coded. You know, without a title, and you're looking at the painting, it's probably not going to make a whole lot of sense to a viewer, except that there's something happening here, and it's talking about some sort of experience. But I can't really put all the pieces together, so. I kind of like the whole coding of it. That's one thing I'm trying to figure out myself. Well, thanks again for uh, just sharing your thoughts and looking forward to seeing you at the end of the week and seeing your work in relationship to these other artists. Yeah, it'll be fun, Dave. Excited. That was John Reddington who will be joining us. And up next is our friend from the North, Mr. Bob Jones. We are joined by Bob Jones. How are you? You're good, Dave. How are you? Good, good. And, you know, we were just talking off the cuff. You know, we're, we're talking a little bit about, you know, some very maybe uh, direct and indirect ways of storytelling as it, as it relates to different artists and their studio practice. And I know that for you, uh, materials and um, I think you've described it before as something like studio debris is something that's important to you. So could you maybe talk a little bit about how you use all of those things to create this new thing, I guess? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really interested in how, um, I guess... How my studio practice is really pretty ritualistic and fetishized uh, in that, um, I don't know, for, for me it, it's, you know, the snapping of a stick or stirring of a paint in the paint can, it, it, it's, 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 I, I'm really connected to, to the materials. Um, and, and also interested in how these earthly uh, materials and substance transforms and how that transformation can really, like, point uh, outside of the studio practice, right, um, to maybe the sacred or, 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 or things things as such, you know. Um, yeah, I, Studio Dust, I read that book by, I, it was uh, Thomas Inato, it's uh, called Dust, and it's uh, it just traces the history of dust from a contemporary uh, idea to, you know, fairies uh, and, and such of medieval times, so... Uh, it's dust and debris and its ability and it, materials the ability of materials to transform really I think connects to you know for me toward, toward, toward storytelling it, it, just listening to you talk about that it, it makes me wonder too because you know a lot of a lot of the, the artists in the show are very interested um, and really work from a, a place where they're really interested in what they're doing they're they're really focused on what their experience of the work is Right. And at the same time, we've been talking a bit about how that's never something that's set for the viewer because they're always they're always different. Who's going to see these things? 
Right. But do you, and again, this is just completely off the cuff, do you think that for you that, that there's any relationship of trying to, to find these meaningful things then in, in what you do in terms of a studio practice? Because, you know, I was just talking to Bill Conger and he was talking about, you know, this ritualistic practice of like getting ready to present yourself in the morning. And right. I'm thinking about the way that maybe some of some of some people's art might kind of really serve as a way to kind of remember a period of time or remember a moment or yeah, I mean, or I, lift I, up something, that, you know? It's, for me it's for me it's it's this this constant question that I'm always trying to resolve, right? And, and you, you speak towards the viewer and, and the viewer is definitely I mean we make visual work so the viewer's the viewer is always in question, but but sometimes, you know, it's for me, it, it, that's kind of what happens after the fact. So it's it's these questions and these decisions that I make in my practice uh, that I find, uh, I guess, most intriguing, right? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's been uh, great to have you on and, and just to kind of give us a preview of uh, what's coming up. So looking forward to seeing you Saturday and seeing the work. Likewise. All right, there was Bob Jones, and up next is a interview that I did with Tim Roby after a nice long day. How are you this evening? I'm okay. How are you? I'm okay, too. If you could maybe talk a little bit about the way that you kind of distill a, a narrative process in relationship to the, the type of works that you make. Um, I know that a lot of them tend to be based off of, you know, maybe things that you kind of find in your daily life, and so I'm just kind of interested in, in how you think about that. Yeah, I take things... Uh, from the streets, you know, things that, that, uh, normally are on the periphery, get ignored and stuff. And, uh, um, I create simple drawings from those and from the drawings, they turn into objects or into paintings. And so you talk a little bit then about kind of distilling these, these things or, or, you know, basic making drawings or sculptures or, you know, installations or whatever kind of based off of them, um, What's what's the level that you you decide then? I guess in terms of how direct it's going to be, because you know that's something that you know in some of the pieces you can kind of get a feel for the the story or the the idea that it was maybe based off of. But then some of them are a little bit more abstracted out. But I don't know. Is it something that you just kind of you know just um, just kind of work on it and 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 see how it goes in the the studio in terms of you know the, that resolution. In the beginning, when I first started making three-dimensional things from these drawings, you know, it'd stick pretty close to what my original vision was. And uh, I guess as I go on further, um, using different elements, you know, bringing in different different sources, um, and combining and juxtaposing a lot of different things to create that story. And also, I'm not not as afraid to use mistakes. <laughs> I guess, in some senses, bringing a little bit more of like a, I guess, a, a fantasy element to it. In some sense, um, well, you kind of described it as a, a dreamlike element, right? Yeah, a lot of it has to do with uh, like perceptions and memories and dreams, you know. You know, like when you wake up in the morning and you have a dream and you're trying to figure out what exactly happened in the dream or like for me, I saw this guy the other day and I, 
I swear I knew him from somewhere, and I thought all day about where I knew this guy from, and I, you know, it was just like searching through my memory of like, you know, where where could I have possibly run into this guy before? So it, it's kind of like that, you know, you, you're you're searching through your memories to to try and put this story together about uh, why is this familiar or why is it strange and that sort of thing. Well, um, thanks again for uh, chatting with us tonight and looking forward to uh, to seeing the work. Uh, yeah, thanks, Dave. Me too. All right, thanks again to Tim. And up last is Adam Isaac, who was gracious enough to join us from New Orleans. So here it is, our last interview previewing Tall Tales. I'm up early talking with Adam Isaac in his studio. How are you this morning? Doing well, Dave. We are trying to get to the idea of how, how storytelling and narrative and mythology and history relate to contemporary artists. That's my first question. How does, how does that work and fit into what you do as an artist and how you're kind of composing these, um, these different aspects of history and narrative within your paintings? Narrative provides the setting and the characters for me to revise history, essentially. Um, there's sort of a dissatisfaction of where our society is as sort of compared to what I grew up reading we were supposed to be doing by now. Um, you know, no flying cars or anything like that. Jetpacks. Exactly. So it's a matter of, for me, going back to the paintings that I grew up with or the narratives I grew up with, inserting new characters in their new sort of odd juxtapositions in them so that, you know, should these things be seen 250 years from now, which would be the most amazing portrait for my paintings, uh, the viewers would look at them and sort of be able to use them to justify where we were in 2012. Uh, so it's a sort of opportunity for me to have a starting point in things that I don't have to necessarily reinvent the wheel each time I come to a new painting because I have narratives that I can revise. So I think it's pretty much the raw material for me in the studio. Well, and I think, you know, the thing that's really interesting about your work and, and as it relates to these ideas is just the way that, you know, we've been talking about this, um, you know, the way that, that meaning for what we see around us always changes. Or, you know, if anybody's uh, been in an art history class or, you know, gone to a really big art museum, you know, you're walking around, uh, you know, maybe these really old-looking statues or, you know, you're visiting, like, that, that lower basement area where you're seeing all these, you know, you know, really ancient kind of like vases and, and, you know, everything's low lit and all this. And again, you're, you're, you're kind of asked to readdress this idea of, you know, what do these things mean in that context? And so, you know, is, is that problematic for you? Is, is it something where you have a grand plan of perhaps buying a, a big museum one day and then, and getting rid of all of the old, the old narratives and replacing them with these crazy ones that, Someone will look at the future ancients, if you will, will look look back on these paintings and have no idea what's going on. I think in a, I think in a way, it, it, that's what I'm trying to get at. I think it's interesting because, you know, even though you're making these narratives up in some regards or re, you know, piecing them together, they're probably going to make about as much sense um, far enough down the road as uh, as uh, anything that's supposed to be based off of history. Yeah, I mean, I think the ideal situation is that I would have the 
complete authority to access the museum and sort of strip it clean and reinstitute what I saw as being important. And there are artists that have done that. Um, but ultimately, I'm all right with that. I think that there's going to be an ambiguity down the line. There's going to be sort of this question of authenticity or authority that any painting or any work of art has. And it's sort of responsive to maybe a little bit of the political environment we are in currently. Um, I don't it's maybe I'm losing a little bit of track of the original question, but it's the ultimate goal to sort of mislead because I think that's somewhat playful. Well, and I think, you know, like, like I, just to reiterate what we were talking about before, I mean, I, I think that that's what's also really compelling to me about the show is that it, in the end, you know, the viewer is ultimately always going to be the one deciding for themselves what, what they believe in, what they, what they see from their perspective. And it, there's something interesting to me that, that kind of goes on and that there's a, a recognition of that, you know, and so, you know, there's, um, you know, artists like Bill Conger that have, have talked about this and, you know, you know, at some point said that there might be a very good possibility someone has no idea what I'm talking about. And yeah. so there's a there's a real level of interest in that, especially when you when you're talking to someone like yourself that paints in this very hyper hyper realistic manner, if, if you will. There's got to be a recognition point. I mean, there isn't that sort of invitation to the viewer through previous experience, I and mean, if they haven't seen Washington Crossing the Delaware, then that painting, as I revised it, may not make any sense whatsoever. But I think the majority of people probably have. And in that recognition, they start to pick out what's wrong and what seems inaccurate based on their memory. And that, I guess, builds a new narrative or at least forces some adjustment to the old narrative. Although you won't be uh, visiting us for September 15th, I know that you will be there certainly with your work, but also in spirit. So, again, really appreciate you taking the time. I was hoping you'd just walk around the opening with your laptop and Skype up so we could just video chat the whole time. <laughs> well, you know, there could be a possibility of that. So, um, But thanks again for taking the time this morning, and uh, we'll, we'll talk to you later. All right, and I just want to thank our artists, Bill Conger, Benjamin Gardner, Bob Jones, Adam Mysock, John Reddington, and Tim Roby, all of which will be featured this Saturday, September 15th of 2002 from 6 to 8 p.m., in Tall Tales, our first Studio Break group exhibition. Once again, if you'd like any more information about that, please check us out at Studio Break on Facebook. You'll see under the events calendar, we've got maps and all sorts of explanations so that you know how to get there. Of course, if this is the first time that you've ever heard of Studio Break or maybe somebody shared this with you, we'd obviously appreciate it if you shared it with other people, but we'd also hope that you check us out, studiobreak.com, where we've got a ton of different artists, interviews, and slideshows, over 40 in total. So again, there's a lot of things to choose from, and if you like different kinds of art or specific kinds of art, painting or sculpture, you can easily preview the artists and check it out to see if you want to listen. So we hope that you go ahead and do that. Once again, you can subscribe in iTunes, and we are on Twitter, at Studio Break, so follow at Studio Break on Twitter. 
And of course, each week I try to find some sort of accompaniment to the podcast in the form of free music. So where do I go? Thefreemusicarchive.org, where once again, they've got thousands of different songs that you can download for free, whole albums. So it's always kind of a a treasure hunt when you go through there and, and just look for stuff like I did for this podcast. And once again, the songs that we had opening up, Nude Beach's Story of a Man and Taking Us Out is Spencer Owen's Story. So please go ahead and check out freemusicarchive.org. Of course, if you're not sure about me, you hear my voice, but you don't know anything about me, you can check me out at davidlinaway.com where I've got a bunch of different paintings up there for your viewing pleasure. And some final announcements are that the show Degrees closes at Swell Gallery in West Dundee the same day, September 15th. So again, you can go ahead and check that out if you've missed it. And you can find out more information by visiting Swell Gallery on Facebook. Of course, Violet Pope Projects has their exhibition the same night, Saturday, September 15th, Horizon for the Forest. It's a great show put on by uh, our friend Kendra, curated by our friend Kendra, and then also put on at Best Friends Galleries, one of our interesting and, and favorite places out in the suburbs in Arlington Heights. And once again, our exhibition, Tall Tales, opens this Saturday from 6 to 8. So like many folks that are going to be there, I think we're all headed over to Best Friends Gallery afterwards to check out Violet Poe Projects' Horizon for the Forest. So please, you've got all the information. We'd love to see you and meet you and and share stories and have a beer. So please come and, and check that out, and we'll see you this Saturday. Thanks, everyone. We'll talk to you real soon. 